that he's going to suffer and die and three days later rise from the dead. And Peter takes Jesus aside and, and says, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Peter basically takes Jesus aside and says, Lord, we need you. And it's not because of my ability to preach or speak, not even our ability to hear. It's because of your grace and the power of your Spirit. And so we look to you. Lord, I'm weak, sinful. We all are, Lord. We thank you for your blood and your life in us and amongst us. So do above and beyond all we ask or imagine. For your glory we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's look at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night, and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Luke 5, 1-11. What a, what a wonderful, poignant story that is. So rich, so full. Let's take time, let's walk through that, visit what's going on, and as for all this series, we want to enter into the story. We want to be as if we were there, experiencing the same things that Peter and others experience. I believe that's that's what the Lord wants to do. So what's going on here is that Jesus has already been ministering, perhaps as long as a year already, and Peter and the other disciples have already followed Jesus to some degree. Um, So they've already known Him. If you read in John earlier on, Jesus was down south, in Judea, 
they started to follow him then, and he had already done some miracles, so they already had seen his work. They already had seen him perform miracles and teach, but apparently they hadn't quite fully left everything to follow him. So this particular story follows in line with all that. It, it looks like, though we're not definitely sure, that Jesus had even ministered in Peter's house. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law. And apparently he wasn't as excited about that as he was about what's going on here. I don't know if we want to read anything about his mother-in-law there. Whether he preferred she be quiet and absent or something, I don't know. I'm just kidding. I don't think so. But So these things have gone on and then Jesus is teaching. And the reputation of Jesus is preceding him. And the crowds are pressing in to hear this rabbi who teaches like no other teacher. And they're pressing in on him and and so they're along the lake shore and they're all close and they all want to hear him. Imagine they're probably asking questions and, and, and there's people all around him and people wanting to be healed and so he has to get some room to be able to teach. He needs kind of a, some space. So he, he comes along and there's Peter and, and some of his friends. They're working on their nets there, cleaning their nets. They've probably been out most of the night, done an all-nighter fishing type thing and they're preparing the nets, they're cleaning their nets and and getting them ready for the next day, the next evening. And Jesus steps in to Peter's boat and asks him to push off a little bit so he can get away from the shore a little bit, step back a little bit, and so people can hear him, so he can teach. So he does that, and Simon's along with him, gives him a ride in his boat out there a little bit. And Jesus teaches. We don't know what Jesus taught, but we know that as he taught, people were riveted to him and as he expounded perhaps on Isaiah 61, what we saw last week or something like that, people I'm sure were entranced and learning so much and mag- uh, marveling at Jesus' teaching. Simon would have been there. And it doesn't say much about that because that's not the point of this story. What falls next is really the point. So Simon's there and then Jesus says, Put out into deep and let down your nets for a catch. So he says to Peter, when he's all done, he turns to him and says, hey, let's go fishing. I want you to put out your nets. Let's go out to the deep and put your nets down. Probably the, the story doesn't have all the details, but probably what had to happen is he had, probably was 10 yards offshore, had to come in, load up all those clean nets, gather his partners too, and go back out. And so there's, that probably was what was going on. And I think you need to kind of get into Simon's experience here what it would have been like. Now, he's been following Jesus. He knows that he's someone special. But now Jesus starts to kind of invade his life a little bit and says to the fishermen, this is Peter who had grown up probably on the lake, probably the son of a son of a son of a fisherman, knew this lake like the back of his hand, knew when the fish were out and when they weren't, knew how to catch fish, knew when to catch fish. And now this rabbi, yeah, a great teacher, yes, potentially the Messiah, yes, the one who does miracles, is now telling me he wants to go fishing. I've just given the rabbi a ride in my boat. Now he wants to play the fisherman with me in the middle of the day, going fishing. What, what is going on? Simon probably was thinking, you know, why don't you stick to teaching and preaching in your area of expertise and let me stick to mine. I'm the fisherman, you're the teacher. Let me be the fisherman, you be the teacher. But Jesus says... Put into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. 
It didn't make sense to go fishing in the middle of the day. The fish weren't around in the middle of the day. They came out at night, probably to the cooler water at night, where you could catch them. They weren't, no one went fishing in the middle of the day. It's still true today in some ways. It's not as good fishing in the middle of the day. You didn't go fishing in the middle of the day. Yet Jesus says, put out your nets. And I'm sure Peter was, or Simon at this point, he's called Simon, called Peter later. It's the beginning of his following of Jesus. I think that's why he's called Simon here. I'm sure, I'm sure Peter was struggling and thinking, you know, what's going on? You don't know what you're talking about. Peter's struggle is actually the same struggle he has at other points. The Mount of Transfiguration. With his confession. He doesn't know who he has in front of him. He doesn't know that this is not just any old teacher. This is not just some kind of Messiah of your own making. This is God in the flesh before you. And so his response to Jesus when he says this is to tell him first why you can't do this like he does at other points. May this never be Jesus. He says, Master, we've toiled all night and not caught anything. And you've got to read between the lines there. In other words, this makes no sense at all. We're wasting our time. We toiled at the best time, didn't catch a thing, and now you're telling us to go out in the middle of the day? Peter didn't understand, didn't realize fully who Jesus was. And I think for us, we are a lot like Peter. And Peter's doubt and struggle with Jesus and what he told him to do, and we don't know all that went on there, all that went on in Peter's heart, but I think there was a lot. The reason I think there was a lot is because later on, Peter's response to Jesus is, depart from me from a sinful man. I think perhaps he was even sinning at that point in his thoughts and frustrated and thinking, what is going on? I mean, come on, stick to your teaching. Let me be the fisherman. He spent the whole night fishing. Hasn't caught anything. That's his livelihood. They've washed their nets. He's probably tired. Probably frustrated. And now Jesus wants him to go out and put out the nets in the deep. Perhaps he's pridefully responding to Jesus. We don't know all that went on. But there's a truth here that I think applies to us immediately. Peter didn't understand all of who Jesus really is at this point. And therefore, when Jesus told him to do something, when Jesus called him to do something, he struggled. He doubted. And much of our struggles in life are the same thing. We struggle with things. We struggle with worry, for instance, because we don't fully understand who Jesus is. We, like Peter, think Jesus is something lesser than what He is. We think that He's something lesser than the sovereign, perfect, holy, glorious One. who's who's created all things, who rules all things, and for whom all things are made. And we so easily think that, yes, Jesus can control Sunday morning. Yes, Jesus is in control when I'm reading my Bible. Like Peter thinking, Jesus, yeah, you're a rabbi, you can teach. But when it comes to fishing, I mean, really? This is not your arena. We can be like that. We think Jesus is okay in the, the arena of the Bible or Sunday morning, but at work? Can he help me? When the kids are whining, when the house is a mess, when the boss is unfair? Jesus, I'm not sure if you can really do anything there, if you're Lord there. And so we struggle. We worry. We get stressed out. Worry and stress are really just two sides of the same thing. We worry. Oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with my children? They're whining. There's a problem here. My house is a mess. I can never 
never get things done. My boss is unfair or this authority figure is unjust. What can I do? My business is failing. Oh no! And we act like Jesus is not God, not Lord. He's lesser than what the Bible says He is. So we can worry. Or we can do the other side of it, which is stress, which is to say, well, He's not doing it, so i got to do it. I've got to be the one who comes in and makes all things right. And So we put pressure on ourselves and we carry burdens that we can't carry. And it's all because we're forgetting who Jesus really is. We are just like Peter. We don't see. And we need to be reminded again and again. And this story today reminds us of who Jesus is. And Jesus works in Peter in such a powerful, dramatic way to show him that he's not just Lord of the sermon or Lord of this. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of even your job, your occupation, even the thing you've known your whole life better than anyone else. He is Lord of all of that. So he invades Peter's life and he, with purpose, says to him, put out into the deep and let down your nets. He knows exactly what he's doing. Because he wants to make a fisher of men. He wants to change this man so he sees who Jesus is. And he wants to do the same with us. He wants to show us who he is. So Peter says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. And then the good part about Peter is there's a humility there. But at your word, I will let down the nets for a catch. He grants Jesus the benefit of the doubt at least. It says, you're a rabbi, I've seen the miracles, we'll let down the nets. So, what happens next changes Peter's life forever and should change ours also. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, John and James and the other boat, to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. So they let down the nets. There's not supposed to be any fish around at this time. They let down the nets and they pull in such a large amount of fish that their nets begin to break. And they have to call the other boat over and they start pulling them on the boat. And the boat fills up with fish. I mean, can you picture the scene? The guys are in the boat. There's probably Peter and over here, James and John, but then probably they had other people working with them and, and Jesus is sitting there probably watching the whole thing. I can just picture him actually, Peter hauling in the fish and there's excitement about the fish and they're flipping and flopping and stuff and they're pulling the fish on the boat and they're filling the boat up and their fishermen are sitting there or standing there in the midst of this flippering, shimmering mass of fish and, and, and Peter, I can just picture him at some point getting over the initial excitement and then thinking, looking over at Jesus while he's doing this. Fish beyond anything he could imagine. The catch of a lifetime going on. And he knows at that point, this is because of Jesus. And I can just picture him looking over at Jesus. And Jesus sitting there with a, a twinkle in his eye, perhaps a smirk on his face, just looking at Peter. Staring right at him. And there's probably all sorts of things going on, an unspoken communication. Well, but what Peter is coming to realize is that this is not an ordinary rabbi. This isn't an ordinary man. This is Jesus. And this isn't the Jesus he thought he knew. And folks, this isn't the Jesus we think we know. We domesticate Jesus. 
We make Him less than what He is. This is Jesus who is Lord of heaven and earth. He's Lord of all things. He's Lord of every inch of the sea. He's Lord of every bit of that lake that Peter knew since he was a kid. He's Lord over every fish in that lake. He's Lord over the temperature and time. That's what's going on. Peter is recognizing this is Lord, the Lord of Lords. This is no little rabbi with a good message and some miracles. He has come and invaded my life and demonstrated He can command there to be fish where there are no fish. He can bring in a harvest that sinks boats at a word. This is no usual rabbi. This is God in the flesh. This is the Lord of lords. This is God Himself. And this teaches us to encounter Jesus. To come face to face with Jesus is to encounter true power. Infinite power. To encounter Jesus is to encounter true power. And I'm sure Peter was just overwhelmed. I'm sure he was just, well, we know, he was undone. He realized in all that that this is God in the flesh in my boat through a harvest of fish. Jesus knew just how to demonstrate his power and lordship to Peter, coming into his realm and speaking a word and causing the catch of a lifetime. I'm sure Peter stood there looking at Jesus as Jesus gazed at him. I can imagine just his hair on the back of his neck just standing up on end. I'm in the presence of God. I'm in the presence of holiness. I'm in the presence of infinite glory. He's here in the boat with me. And so notice what he does next. He doesn't say, wow, wonderful harvest of fish. Let's go do something else. Let's, uh, let's go make some wine or let's go make some bread or let's go conquer a kingdom. He doesn't say any of that. He's not focused on the fish. It seems that he forgets about the fish. He struggled his whole life to catch fish. And at this moment of the ultimate catch, fish don't mean a whole lot. Instead, as he encounters Jesus, he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, to encounter Jesus is not only to encounter true power, it's also to encounter true holiness. Because He's God and He's holy. And Peter comes into the presence of Jesus. He's there in Jesus' presence. And he's not feeling warm fuzzies right now. He's not feeling extra comfort. He's not even thinking about the prophets. He's undone before a holy God. To come in the presence of God, to come before the presence of God, is to be aware of His perfect holiness. And as you look throughout Scripture, you see similar sort of reactions to people who come before God's presence. Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, comes into the temple and gets a vision of God's glory. And his first reaction is the same as Peter. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. And, and woe is me, that's a curse on himself. Basically, I'm undone. 
judgment on me. I'm a sinful man, and I'm before the Lord of hosts who's holy, holy, holy. He's perfect. Job, Job 42, when he encounters God after his complaining, and God reveals his wisdom and his glory to Job, he says, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. John in Revelation sees Jesus and falls at his feet as though dead. In that stare of Jesus, I think Peter was undone because he realized this is God Himself looking at me, dealing with my life. And I believe in that stare, He stood before Jesus, undone, naked and bare before Him. And I'm sure all the things that He thought, He realized, He knows what I was just thinking before we put out the nets. He knows what I thought about Him. He knows my anger and my pride. And not only does He know that, but He knows everything. He knows every angry thought I've ever had. He knows every lustful thought, every lustful fantasy, every prideful assertion, every scandalous desire, every unfaithful action, every plot of revenge that I've fantasized about, every flight of fury, everything I've ever done, He knows through and through, and He's looking at me right now. That was His experience, I believe. He's undone before a holy God, a glorious God. So his reaction is, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Like Isaiah, like Job, listen to what R.C. Sproul says about Isaiah's experience. In that single moment, all of his self-esteem was shattered In a brief second, he was exposed, made naked beneath the gaze of the absolute standard of holiness. As long as Isaiah could compare himself to other mortals, he was able to sustain a lofty opinion of his own character. The instant he measured himself by the ultimate standard, he was destroyed. Morally and spiritually annihilated, he was undone. He came apart. His sense of integrity collapsed. Every nerve fiber in his body was trembling. He was naked and alone before God. He was in pure moral anguish, the kind that rips out the heart of a man and tears his soul to pieces. Guilt, guilt, guilt. Relentless guilt screamed from his every pore. To encounter God is to see perfect holiness and to find ourselves exposed naked and bare without any plea in ourselves. So Peter, feeling those things and experiencing those things and realizing what's going on, this is more than a rabbi. This is God Himself in the boat with me. And I've been following this guy. And He knows everything about me. And He's befriended me. He wants me to follow Him. He wants me to be His friend. And so He says, depart from me. Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. What are you doing near me? I can't stand your presence because I'm a sinner and you're holy. He's not asking Jesus to jump out of the boat and swim away. He's saying, Jesus, why? I'm a sinner. Why are you here with me? Why interested in my life? I can't stand before your holiness. To encounter Jesus is to encounter true holiness. And Jesus at that point 
and His perfection and holiness. And because of Peter's sin, could have banished Peter from His presence. And he would have been just. And God, when Isaiah came into His presence, could have done the same. And God could have, could have banished Job as well. He's holy. And we're not. And when we stand in His presence, we see His holiness. We see His perfection. But He's also not only a holy God, but a God of grace. Thank God that He's a God of grace. And so the next thing that He says to Peter is what? Be not afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Peter. Don't be afraid. Peter is very afraid. Isaiah is very afraid. Job's very afraid. John's very afraid. Jesus says, do not be afraid. We see that throughout Scripture. When people encounter God and when people encounter even angels. Angel Gabriel shows up to Zechariah and says, don't be afraid. Shows up to Mary and says, don't be afraid. Their first reaction is, oh, a cute angel, isn't this nice? And there's a pudgy little angel there with wings and a harp. No. The biblical angels are not like that. They're not like the angels we hang on our Christmas trees. They're not cute, pudgy, or they're not petite blondes like the angel on our tree. They're mighty beings, holy beings. And when they encounter people, people are scared. And I heard Al Mohler, the great theologian, say this, real angels make you wet your pants. (laughs) They're great and mighty and holy. And so they have to say, when people encounter them, do not be afraid. How much more Jesus, how much more God Himself. Do not be afraid. See, we learned last week that Jesus came and declared the year of the Lord's favor. That He had come to seek and to save the lost. And in this time period, from His appearance and His resurrection to His return, it's the year of the Lord's favor. His graciousness is oriented towards us. And He says to us, to all who come to Him like Peter did, recognizing, I'm a sinner. I have no plea before you. He says to each one, do not be afraid. Because in the year of the Lord's favor, His grace is extended. And He willingly invites each of us to come to Him. And He promises us that He'll not cast away. Matter of fact, throughout Scripture, He invites us, says, come to Me. Matthew 11, come to Me, all you who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Me. He wants us to come. He doesn't want us to depart. He pleads, He even begs, come to Me. Be not afraid. Because it's the year of the Lord's favor. It's the time of His grace towards us. And that's because He went to the cross. That's because when He lived... He lived the perfect life. And that's because He went to the cross and He faced the thing that we should truly be afraid of. He bore the wrath of God. God's holy, just judgment on Peter and on me and on you. Christ bore. There's really nothing else like that to be afraid of. Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. The worst thing that could happen in this life, be it at the hands of a person or just a catastrophe, is nothing compared with He who can throw both body and soul into hell. 
That's something to be afraid of. That lasts forever. That is total destruction. And Jesus embraced that for you. So that you don't have to be afraid. And He says, come to Me. Put your faith in Me. Day by day. Recognize that I bore your sins. I bore the wrath of God. And I am your Savior. And do not be afraid. And that pronouncement of be not afraid from Jesus is the one, the only one that really matters. And He offers that to us. And if we are honest with ourselves, we'll realize that we need to hear that. Be not afraid. If we are honest and face the fact that we are sinners, and we are so good at ignoring that. And for Christians, the danger is to think, well, I'm a Christian now. Sin's been dealt with, and I'm over with that. And to not face the reality that we still struggle with sin. And that sin is serious, and we are before God, naked. But Jesus has died for us. And so we need not be afraid. So we need to run to Him again and again. God wants us to understand that we are still sinners in need of a Savior. He wants us to experience even what Peter experienced, both in the exposure of sin, but also in those words, that pronouncement of comfort. Be not afraid. There's been times in my life when I've experienced things similar to to Peter, both as a Christian and, and before I knew the Lord. I can identify with him. I remember some of my experiences as a kid and the sense of guilt and sin. When I was in my early teens, I had the desire to plant a watermelon patch. Watermelon don't grow too well in New England, by the way. Um, I found that out. I wanted to plant a watermelon patch, and we lived on the Charles River, and across the street from us was the river and the, and the floodplain, and it was really fertile, and I thought, I'll go plant a watermelon patch along the river. I don't know if I was watching too much Deputy Dog cartoons, but uh, do you guys know, Dep- anyone ever seen Deputy Dog? And, and the, there was always something about a watermelon patch and Deputy Dog. Um, I don't know if I was watching too much of that. You know, I was, I was probably like 12 or so, or 13, and, and I decided I want a watermelon patch. And, and uh, I was at the store with my dad, actually, and they had some seeds there, and they had some watermelon seeds. And I decided that I was going to snitch the seeds, uh, take them right off the shelf. I didn't have any money. I didn't think my dad would want me to have a watermelon patch. So I grabbed the seeds, and I had a hooded sweatshirt, I remember, and I stuck the seeds in my pocket, and then we started to walk away. And the only problem was, is when you walk with a packet of seeds in your pocket, it goes, and also, because it was a hooded sweatshirt, it was a shallow pocket, and it kind of came out. And my dad saw it. And he knew like that what, what was going on. And I remember the sense of guilt before my dad. Recognizing I'm exposed. My dad caught me with the seeds. And the sense of shame having those seeds. Now that's a, that's a light example. I've got other examples for you of that same sense with more intense things. But, but I can identify with Peter. And even as a believer now, there are times when God exposes my sin and I recognize I'm a sinner. 
And I did that thing because I wanted to do it. I pursued sin, and He's holy. And I need to hear, be not afraid. I've died for you. And I've died so you can be forgiven. And I've died and given my life for you so that you can be made holy in me. So these words, be not afraid, are to mean much to us before a holy, perfect God. God, as Jesus, is holy and gracious. To encounter Him is to encounter true holiness, and to encounter Him is to encounter true grace. And He calls us to Himself. And He calls us to humble ourselves and say, we need a Savior. Today, I need my sins to be forgiven. I need someone to come and rescue me from my sin today. I need Jesus today. And then He pronounces, be not afraid. I'm for you. But you know what it takes? It takes humility. Again, what we're learning in Luke is that He's the saver and the seeker and saver of the lost those who know they're lost. The humble who recognize they need someone to save them. And we want to hear this. We want to know this truth that He comes gladly to the humble. Not only for the day of salvation when you first come to know the Lord, but for each day. He comes to seek and to save the lost. If you are not humble, you don't need a Savior. If you're proud, if I'm proud, we don't need Savior, but in order to come to Him, we must recognize that yes, we are lost and we need a rescue. We need Him to come and rescue us. We must face the reality of who we are if we are to ever treasure the Savior. Jesus doesn't mean a whole lot to you if you are self satisfied, if you're well off, if life is pretty good. Who needs Jesus? But for those who recognize they're desperate, They need forgiveness. They need a Lord, a shepherd to lead them through life. He means a lot. Listen to what David Paulson says. And this quote and other quotes, actually some of the main points of this message, give credit to Josh Harris from Covenant Life. He pulled this quote, wonderful quote from David Paulson. He says, The change in the redemption that we all long for requires self-knowledge. The change in the redemption we all long for requires self-knowledge. Diagnosis precedes cure. But we humankind have a hard time with self-knowledge. Our pride spins webs of delusion. We usually put the best spin on ourselves. My opinions, my perspectives, and my way of doing things seems intuitively Plausible, if not the sum of all righteousness. Even when we get down on ourselves, we reserve the right of judgment. Have you ever noticed how a person with low self-esteem reacts when someone else does the criticizing? Have you noticed how self-hatred so often correlates to failure to measure up to pride-generated standards for oneself? Self-pity is then a most delicious narcotic. It feels so good to feel so bad because it's all about me. Self-absorption erects an impenetrable barrier to self-knowledge. To know myself as I truly am, I must come to know myself 
through the eyes of someone outside of myself. The God who searches and weighs every heart. Jesus Christ on the boat with Peter. There was self-knowledge going on. And Peter said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. These are the sort of people that Jesus responds to with His gracious words of, be not afraid. So to encounter Jesus is to encounter true grace. And then Jesus goes on. To encounter Jesus is to encounter our true calling because Jesus says, be not afraid, and then says, from now on, you will be catching men. This is what Jesus is like. He's powerful. He's holy. He's gracious. And He calls us to Himself. Jesus receives those who call out to Him. He saves them from their weakness and sin and His grace transforms them and joins them to His saving mission. He receives us. He covers us. His grace transforms us and He joins us to His mission. It's amazing. He encounters Peter. And Peter says, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. And Jesus doesn't just say, well, you're forgiven or do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid. And then says, from now on, you're going to catch men. Not only do I forgive you, but I want you to follow me. To know Jesus is to have a relationship with Him and to be recruited for His mission of doing the same with others. To know Him is to know our true calling. And so, Jesus calls Peter. To encounter Jesus is not only to encounter a Savior from sin, but also to encounter a Lord for life. Jesus encounters Peter with these things and calls him to follow Him. His quality of being Savior and Lord are, are bound inextricably together. There's no separating them. Savior and Lord together. To follow Him as Savior is to follow Him as Lord. And for Peter, I think this was all functioning at the same time. Because he realized if this one, the God-man, could come and cause all the fish of the lake to come together into my net and that I could bring them up on the boat, not only is he holy and powerful, not only has he said, be not afraid, but I can certainly follow this one. I can certainly leave my fishing business behind and my home behind, and all the securities of this world behind, because this is God. This is the Lord of Lords. This is the Sovereign One. And if He can command all the fish of the sea, then He can command everything else. And so why worry about anything? Why not follow Him? And if this one wants me to follow Him in His saving mission and make me a fisher of men, then I'm on board. I can trust Him. See, to follow Jesus is ultimately to leave behind everything else. To entrust our lives to Him above all other things. Now for some, that means they are called to leave their job and their home and go. For others, it doesn't necessarily mean that. But for all, it means to trust Him above all other things and to be willing to set aside these other things that may be good but are ultimately not worthy of our trust. He is supremely worthy of our lives. And He is supremely trustworthy 
with our lives. And that was going on in Peter. So I don't think it was any, there was any hesitation for Peter or James and John to follow. This is God calling us to follow. And they gladly left their nets behind. They knew who He was. They knew that He was trustworthy. And we know the story of Peter that it meant leaving his fishing business, his family for a time, traveling about Palestine. Later, after Jesus' resurrection, traveling about the Roman Empire. Ultimately, for Peter, it meant death at the hands of Nero. But he knew the one in whom he had believed. And so he could follow. And the call to us is the same. If the band could come up as we close. The call to us is the same. This story is in Luke for us today. That we might see in Jesus the one who is truly powerful, truly holy, truly gracious, and gives us our true calling to follow Him, to leave everything behind and say, Lord, I'm Yours. Whatever You want, lead on. I follow. He is most trustworthy. He is most worthy. Some questions as we close. Is there something else that you or I are trusting supremely? Is there something else that you're putting your hope in? Is there something else that you're choosing to follow? I do that. I can make just about anything. My temporary Lord, I can put my heart, my trust in anything. What is it for you today, this morning even, that you have put your hope in? What is motivating you? What is helping you get through the day? There are many things out there, and they're not necessarily bad things. But when they're put ahead of Jesus, they are. And He calls us, just like He did to Peter and the disciples, come, follow me. Follow me. Trust me. Leave behind these things. Serve me. And for Peter, the call was to be fishers, a fisher of men. And, and Peter certainly had a unique call in that as a chief apostle. But we too are called to be fishers of men. To follow Jesus is to be recruited into His saving mission. And to serve Him. To walk with Him. To make Him known. To put our hope in Him. So I believe He's calling us once again this morning to leave our nets, leave our business, leave all things to follow this One who is supremely worthy and supremely trustworthy. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You that Your interaction with Peter is exactly the sort of interaction you would have with us now. I pray by the ministry of your Spirit, you would encounter us, Lord, that we might see that you are God in the flesh, Savior, the one who saves us from our sin. You are Lord, the one who leads us in life. May we today follow you gladly and joyfully. Oh, Lord, why would we follow anything else or anyone else? You are worthy. You are trustworthy. So call your people to yourself today. Call them to 
follow once again and show yourself as Savior and Lord, the Worthy One. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand to worship? Lord Jesus, we just say you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, you are our life. We thank you, Lord, that you have come and shown yourself to us, and we want to follow you. And I pray, Lord, for your people this morning, build them up in faith to trust you, to follow you in confidence because of who you are. And I pray, Lord, you would lead each of us on in you and show that you are Lord of every aspect of of our lives. At your word, you can call thousands of fish together in one place. And at your word, you can allow us to experience trials as well. You are Lord of them all. You are fully trustworthy. So lead us on, O Lord. Be magnified through our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you this week as you follow the worthy and trustworthy one, Jesus Christ. God bless. Have a great week.